And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 132 of the Keith Law Show. My guest today will be my first ever Academy Award winner as among my guests. That is Matthew Cherry, who is the brains behind the animated short that won the Oscar a couple of years ago called Hair Love. He has a brand new series called Young Love, which is a spinoff of Hair Love. The first, first four episodes of which debuted on the streaming service Max. I still want to call it HBO Max. It's what will always be in my mind, even if not on my actual iPad. That is, first four episodes episodes debuted last week. There will be four more up this week, and the final four will come up in, uh, I believe, October 5th is the date for those. In the meantime, I have been uh, doing about an article a week for subscribers to The Athletic. Um, I did, I believe two, two weeks ago was the my annual look at players I was wrong about. I did four players this year and uh, go into what was wrong about the initial evaluation. What improvements, in particular, what improvements did I not foresee them making, which is a big part of projection and a big part of evaluating. And uh, what lessons can I maybe learn from that going forward? What things did I not anticipate? I did also have a scouting blog up uh, looking at some Red Sox, Orioles, and Nats prospects. I led off with Roman Anthony, who's one of the biggest breakout prospects in all of the minors this year, and talked a little bit about how the Red Sox reworked his swing. Not substantially, but it's funny how very small changes can make a huge difference. And just for pure hit tool, he's got to be one of the, I don't know, certainly top 10 prospects in baseball just looking at the bat. I mean, it's a hell of a swing, and I know that doesn't always work out. I always used to say Josh Vitters had one of the best-looking swings, other side of the plate, obviously, but Josh Vitters had a hard time telling a ball from a strike also, or at least a, a, maybe I should say a pitch he should swing at from a pitch he shouldn't swing at. So there's no guarantees, but I really, really like what the Red Sox have done and what they have with Roman Anthony right now. I also did my annual MLB Prospect of the Year award with Jackson Holiday, no surprise, winning that, and wrote a little bit, going back to the Red Sox for a second, also wrote a little bit about their decision to fire uh, President of Baseball Ops, Chaim Bloom, and what awaits whoever ends up taking over Baseball Ops, particularly if ownership still refuses to spend money more than anything else on pitching, but just refuses to spend much money overall, because I think ultimately that is going to determine whether the next regime has more success than the Bloom regime did. Also, for those of you who follow my board game work, uh, about after the last episode dropped, I had a review of a game called Three Ring Circus, which is one of the better games I've seen this year. I have a review in the queue over at Paste for Votes for Women, which is primarily a two-player game. There are other modes, but it works best as a two-player game. 
one of you is for the suffragist cause, the other plays as the opposition. It might be the best new game I've played this year. It's going to be on the very, very short list when I do my year-end rankings. It's tremendous. It plays easily. It's really brilliant. I love the theme. I love the I love how the game looks on the table. It's just extremely, extremely well done. And uh, I was very excited to finally get it to the table for a real full playthrough, um, even though I've had the game for a couple of months. Well, today I have my first ever Oscar winner as a guest. It is writer, producer, and former wide receiver, Matthew Cherry, the genius behind the short film Hair Love and the brand new Max series, Young Love. The first four episodes uh, just debuted on the streaming service last week with four episodes to come uh, this upcoming week and four more episodes, the last four episodes of season one, hopefully the first season of many, coming at the first week of October. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. No, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So the uh, New York Times uh, had a glowing review of the show. All the reviews I've seen have been very, very positive. Uh, they described you as tall and athletic, but also a nerd. Uh, so speaking as someone who is short and very unathletic, but also a nerd, are pe- do people who know you, are they surprised you're really a nerd at heart? Um, honestly, I'm not sure. You know, uh, I, I feel like just anybody that works in the film and TV business is probably a bit of a nerd, right? Because you got to be a, be a big fan of... Uh, you know, these franchises like Star Wars and Marvel and stuff. So, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so the film and the book version of Hair Love, both of which I, I recommend for folks who haven't seen or, or read it, they're huge hits in my house. My younger stepdaughter only allows me to read that book to her because I picked it out for her. It was a gift for her when she was, I don't know, maybe three or four. And uh, that is Keats' book. And I what I found I connected with, and I think a part of it's broad sort of widespread success came from the way it expressed universal themes from a story that itself is very very specific and very personal so can you talk a little bit about how you came up with the story in the first place and what it was like to push for so long to make this short film yeah you know i think uh i'm glad you caught that you know definitely the idea behind it was like um we wanted to hit these universal themes of like you know, what a parent would do if their kids ask them to do something, they know how to do it. But also with that spe- the specificity, you know, I feel like a lot of times the more specific you get, the more universal things become. Um, obviously, this is a story about an African-American father and his daughter. And, you know, but for me, like growing up, like I've always had to find kind of the personal connection to movies and TV shows that didn't necessarily feature African-Americans. Right. So I think we're having this really cool shift now. where like because things are becoming a little bit more inclusive and diverse you're really able to, you're really able to just, I think, see the humanity in others, you know, see that we all aren't so different. Um, you know, I think uh, it definitely has been a long journey. You know, the, the Kickstarter was in 2017 and, you know, the show's coming out in 2023. And um, it, it's just been really amazing just seeing the response, you know, like seeing all the dads like posting pictures with their kids and, you know, all the teachers that have been like showing the short film and also reading the book. So it's just been really an incredible journey. And I think we really wanted to hit those universal themes. Uh, that that always was a bit of the goal. And I think animation is really the perfect medium to kind of make things that are, you know, it's a medium where we found empathy with robots and animals and all kinds of objects. So of course, like putting an African-American family, I think on the screen kind of allows that same level of empathy for things that we may not have had if it was live action. 
and animation is not a medium it's a medium that's not had great representation or i guess i might say it it lags behind a little bit obviously we're still working for representation in lots of places but i feel like you just don't see a lot of african-american especially protagonists yeah like i know you've tweeted a lot about the spider-verse movies and how great it is that we have an african-american protagonist there and when you were making this did you get pushback from people uh, especially i'm thinking of the the industry itself yeah. because you were trying to center this around an african-american family Honestly, it really wasn't because uh, of it being an African-American family. I think uh, we, I think 2017 was like right on the cusp. Like Moana had come out, I believe, later that year. Coco the following year. Obviously, all the Spider-Verses that have come out. And there's all this incredible representation we've seen in animated movies specifically. Obviously, we saw a proud family. You know, you have Craig of the Creek. So there have been some representation. I think for us, it was really more so. And this is probably something I put more on it than maybe executives or anybody else that we could try to pitch the idea to. I just always wondered, like, damn, like, is this idea big enough? You know, it feels so simple. It's just a dad trying to do his daughter's hair. Like, you know, cool idea. But like, you know, animation is so many amazing, incredible things. All this action, all this like, you know, fight sequences and all these other things that almost felt. That was always the thing that was in the back of my mind, like, man, maybe this is too simple. But Peter Ramsey was one of our executive producers on the short. And um, this is right before he went into Spider-Verse. And I just remember asking him, like, you, what do you think? Like, you know, I have this idea. It's kind of simple. And he was just like, look, man, animation is a medium, you know, not a genre. So, you know, if you feel like this is the medium you want to tell it in, you know, go ahead and knock it out. So he he really was great and given a lot of confidence that this was a good idea. And um yeah, <laughs> it definitely was well-received, though. Like, Sony always showed it a lot of love. Like, you know, Max uh, really got it kind of from day one. So I can't even say that people didn't get it because they did, which was great. And I think also it having an audience already helped a ton, too, you know? Like, I think had I just pitched it straight up without having done the Kickstarter that went viral and having the book that did what it did and all these other things, like, I do think it would have been a lot difficult, a lot more difficult, but because it already had this audience, like, you know, anytime you could have a built-in audience, it's just a lot easier to sell people on the, the audience for it. It's in in the series, too, we, you're shifting, not just in, obviously, they're, they're longer, right? These episodes are, are quite a bit longer, too. So you've had to switch to, to that, to doing broader themes, to doing longer stories, but also there's a lot of dialogue, right? The thing I remember, I actually forgot, I went back and rewatched Hair Love. There's not a ton of dialogue. It's really very visual, which is great. It's a great way to make use of the medium, like you were saying. But now you have to work with a lot more dialogue and fleshing out the characters a lot. And I'm just curious what that's been like for you. I know you have other projects in your past also where you've done more of that. But now you're taking something, like you said, was a very simple but very cogent, very uh, potent idea. And now you're blowing it out into kind of building out its own world in the series. Yeah, I mean, you know, thankfully we had a lot of the world already thought through when we did the short. Like we knew they were from Chicago. We knew the dad was a music producer. We knew that the mom worked in natural hair and was a vlogger. You know, we knew Zuri was just this like ball of energy. You know, she just is so like, you know, (laughs) she's the type of kid that people say has been here before. So um Going into this, so we had that those as jumping off points and, you know, being honest, like the tone was really the hardest thing to try to try to crack, you know, because, you know, we, we had this really dope writer's room and like, you know, some people like what the thing about writer's room is people like to bring their own experience to things. Right. So I think it was really hard, I think, to get some of the writers to buy into this idea of like, OK, I see myself in, in um, Stephen and Angela, but I don't really see myself in Zuri. So it was this kind of like this like bit of a balancing act just trying to like all right 
we can't really ignore Zuri because like, like, you know, the book is so is it shipped 3 million copies, like the shortest over a hundred million times. Like Zuri is kind of the in the end point to this whole idea. So she has to be a main character. And it was this whole thing of like tonally, should it be a kid show? Could it be an adult show that focuses specifically on the parents? Right. Like you have compelling arguments for both. But I think for me, the idea was, you know, and honestly, I haven't seen this a ton, but this idea of doing a sitcom co-viewing kind of family uh, type grounded show, you know, in animation, you know, animation probably unlike live action is way more split. Like you really only get adult animation, you get kids animation. You don't really have a ton of things that are co-viewing space. So that was really the goal. Like we don't want to alienate people that are fans of Zuri. We also want to get a little deeper into Angela and uh, Steven's world, you know, him being a producer, trying to get back into the mix after taking a year off. Angela also trying to get back in the mix. So it was just this fine balance of trying to figure out that tone. But ultimately, I think as we dove deeper into these characters, um, it, was, it was just really great. You know, Carl Jones was one of our EPs. He, he was really instrumental in helping us figure that out. Um, Renata Shepard, you know, ran our writer's room. So we just had really great people that were in the mix and it was really fun to figure out. I mean, one thing it's it, you're anticipating each of my questions, which is wonderful. As, as a host, I love when, when people do that. But so the hair love for me, the the thing I connected with most is is just what you said earlier. It's like we'll just do anything for our kids, right? Learn a new skill, break out of gender roles, whatever. It actually reminded me. Don't laugh because I love hate the book The Road, the Cormac McCarthy book, which is obviously grim and apocalyptic. But at heart, it is a, it. It's about parenting. It's about, I will die for my kids, right? I have kids. I know you have a, a fairly newborn, like you will die for your kids. That's what it means to be a parent. And it was so interesting to, for me to take that away and to hear you say that. Now you're talking, now talking about the series too. You're talking about how, oh, we're trying to expand the parents. It's immediately what I connected with. That's that sandwich generation where they've got a young kid. They have an only child, which I had an only child. I have stepdaughters now, but for a while I had just one. And they have older parents who have lots of opinions and- the parent characters are hilarious. The grandparents, I guess, are hilarious. They have a whole lot to say, and so do my parents. Yep, and yep. so we're the, we're the in between, right? We're constant. We're managing both right. as we're still trying to figure ourselves out. And I find that so interesting that that's um, that that you're as you talk about that was part of what you were trying to do here. And I'm I was wondering, like, I was going to ask you flat out, was that part of your intent in in blowing yep. this out? I guess you've sort of answered that, but but. Please elaborate, because that was exactly what I connected with in in the episode so far. Yeah, um, you know, the, focusing on them being millennial parents was like a really big part of even the pitch for the show. Like even once we got into the writer's room, like, you know, this idea of like, you know, they're about 26 years old. And so, you know, they're kind of in the middle. Right. You know, Gen Z is very like want to change the world. And they're just like very active um, millennials. Like, obviously, we value kind of freedom over this idea of like working nine to fives and things, right? And I, this idea of it being a multi-generational show is really great because you get to see Zuri and all her like scheming and planning, try to change the world and try to make things better <laughs> as a six-year-old does. But you also see Angela, you know, in some moments she's a little bit more conservative, like her, her parents may be. In other instances, she's a little bit more progressive, right? You know, even the idea of them not being married, living in this brownstone, being in 26, you know, even the title Young Love, you know, Angela Young, Stephen Love, you know, just there were so many things that we tried to like build in there with this idea of like, you know, sitcoms and like shows of the past and even just like real life. It's not kind of the same thing that people are valuing today. You know, like 
people don't necessarily feel like they have to get married and, you know, live the quote unquote American dream. Like they're, if they're like, if this is working, like, okay, you know, weddings are expensive. Like we got to kind of make it <laughs> like have a big marriage. So all this stuff just really went into the creation of this, this idea of, um, you know, them having these non-traditional gender roles, but it really is more so just because of how expensive things are. Right. Like, like, you know, both parents have to work nowadays in most situations, right? Like, back in the day you know, gas cost 25 cent and rent was like you know 300 bucks like of course like you, know, you, you work and i'll stay home but nowadays things inflation has just lapped everything so much and so we just really wanted to showcase what it was like for this family who's not even necessarily thinking about roles they're just trying to survive and figure it out looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I love that the the grandfather is it Russell? Is that his name? The character's name? He's he is that he's just what you said. He is that voice of you're not doing the American dream. You need a mortgage. You need a full time job. You need health insurance. I I I get that. Like it's obviously he's a little sharpened. It's a little bit of a caricature, but folks who are I'm quite a bit older than your main characters here, but still like I get that pressure from the parents from the boomer gen my parents are baby boomers right that generation it's like no this is what we did there's a formula for this and you have to follow the formula and i love that your show is like they're not following the formula but it's not also not that's just there it's just in the background the show is not about that your storytelling it's it's what was great about hair love you are just telling stories and people should if you know everyone will interpret it their own way but they'll walk away getting that sense or walk away making that connection to these characters too, which to me, it's also, you're universalizing it, right? Yes, this is a show about an African-American family in Chicago, but I would think, you've probably heard from a lot of people, lots of folks will connect with that, with understanding the conflicts, maybe with an older generation or that the American dream doesn't work for people today like it did 30, 40, 50 years ago. No, no, very much true. I mean, even this idea of, uh, you know, making it right, like, you know, when you're in your 20s, like, you know, you're kind of hoping that it's going to happen for you right away. And like a lot of it, especially if you're an artist, it's a lot of one step forward, two steps back, a lot of like trying to find your footing. And so I was even wanting to showcase that within Stephen and Angela's career, but also with their parenting, you know, like they're a little bit flying by the seat of their pants, you know, like <laughs> Zuri definitely talks back probably a little bit more so than they did when they were kids, their parents. But it's also <laughs> like they're trying to foster this little girl to be able to speak her mind and to kind of find who she really is kind of in a different way. So it's just really fun, like playing with those different generational topics that, that you mentioned. 
So you mentioned a little bit the uh, music. It's obviously part of the dad's career here, but also there's just a lot of music in the show. And I know you're really into music. I know you were, I yeah. did my little research. You're a music director at your college radio station. You tweet about music quite a bit. Uh, you tweet about music over a broad period of time, which I really appreciate because my wife will sometimes needle me for being stuck in the 80s. Like, Those were my formative years, right? That's still, I'm still a new wave kid at heart. And I, I get the sense that this is just going to be central to young love, which I really appreciate. And I'm curious how you're choosing, I know it's you and a staff also, mm -hmm. but you're choosing what music to incorporate, or you've got folks, I assume, creating a lot of music for the show. What Talk to me about the direction, because it does feel like it's just part of the show's DNA. Yeah, um, no, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, yeah, we had an incredible crew, you know, Amanda Jones, uh, who's a great composer. She did our kind of score. Uh, Taylor Graves, he basically was the voice for Steven as a music producer. And with Steven, what we really mm -hmm. wanted to do was have him kind of be this Pharrell, NERD um, type of producer who's a little bit more futuristic. He's not necessarily moving in the same space that a lot of the popular music of today is. He's always trying to like think beyond like what's what's the next big thing. And so it has it's a hard time for him, right? Because the way to make money in the media is kind of do what's hot, right? You know, people want to hear what, what they're hearing on the radio. So that's a bit of a struggle for him. And then we had uh, Morgan Rhodes, who was this incredible music supervisor who was able to help for us to create figure out these creative needle drops right so we have like jill scott golden in episode two um in episode three we have uh cream by wu-tang but we didn't actually license cream we actually went and found the original song and we were able to kind of like take that and then like loop it in a way where it felt like you were listening to cream but it was still the original song nice. we just had to be like really creative because obviously animation doesn't have a ton of money in their budget like how live action does and um Music just really was the pulse. Like we knew the show was going to be a little slower, a little bit more grounded, and we were going to need something to kind of help bring the energy to these scenes and kind of help th with the transitions from one scene to another. So music just felt like kind of the natural thing. And uh, my manager, Monica Young, she has worked at labels all the time too. So she's kind of like the figurehead, just kind of help figuring out, all right, this music goes here. This could be score. This could be a beat. And, you know, we just worked it out like that. What's well, great in the, I think it's the first episode. I'm getting, hoping I'm getting the right one where he shows, Stephen shows up at Zuri's school, right? And he's yep. creating, that's the auction, right? That music, and that's the same episode where he's with Lelanc, yep. right? And he's got it. The music has to be credible, right? It's always yep. like, reminds me of the Studio 60 problem, if you remember that show, where it was like, the show within the show wasn't funny enough and it just didn't work. There were a lot of things I liked about the show, but here, the music, we have to believe that Stephen is talented. And yep. the way to do that is with good music. And there were a couple of passages in there, a couple of musical segments where one little aunt just tried, what is he called, the Trizash. I'm like, hey, I thought that was pretty good, actually. Maybe I'm out of date. No, at the end, actually, no, this is actually pretty good. Like, you got that across, and it, it's just that kind of thoughtfulness really came through in the in the episode so far. And I love, like I said, seeing the music just, it's just woven into the story like that. And I, I feel like that's something people will continue to come back to the show for, too, because of that credibility and because it is... Um, because well, honestly because it's just catchy <laughs> yeah i mean honestly too we're just having kid cuddy involved in the show like you know scott is great you know because he would to me is like the first rapper that really put like feelings and emotions into the song he was the first one mm -hmm. to talk about mental illness and just you know feelings and kind of things in a certain way and so obviously if you have cuddy in the show like you gotta you want that music to hit on the too, so it doesn't feel like, man, we got Kit Cudi and the music sounds like trash. Like, what are we doing here? So <laughs> it definitely was a combination of just like 
And Ankh is really speaking more so that the songs don't sound current. It's not that he doesn't like it. It's just more so like, I'm a certain artist. I like my beats to sound like this, even as trying to go to the next thing. And, you know, so when he plays it for the kids, you know, kids are a little bit more free in their thinking. So they, they were able to dig it. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, and you've mentioned animation as a medium many times, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of animation. I think it's, I, I kind of think it's underrated because people tend to do exactly what you just said before. This is for kids. This is for grownups, as opposed to it's just a medium for storytelling. You can animate pretty much anything. Yeah. In fact, you can animate a lot of things you can't tell live action. Right. And I, I would love to know what kind of influences you had, both for just generally for animation as a medium and also for the style, because I really like the look and feel of both Hair Love and Young Love, which obviously it's not hand-drawn, but it right. calls back to that too. And I love, obviously I'm showing my age, but I love animation that does that, that just sort of tips the cap a little bit to, we know where we came from and we're going to honor you through modern animation. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, um, so comedy wise, our influences were, was actually more like insecure, you know, like insecure, mm, yeah. being sure. more like grounded, more situational comedy, less about these big sight gags, you know, you you slip one in on occasion, on occasion, but you know, insecure. And, and he, honestly, Atlanta was a big, um, a big influence too, just, with Earn being like a working in music, him having a young daughter, like he really was our main kind of like thing. We're like, all right, we, this is what we want to hit. This idea of like him being this young struggling uh, professional that works in music and he has a young daughter. Like what if Atlanta expounded on that? You know, we, we were able mm -hmm. to like a little bit more. So comedy wise, those were probably the two big influences. And also just the sitcoms of back in the day, right? Like Freshman to Bel-Air, like shows that you watch with the entire family. And you're just like, man, this feels good. Like, Kid could watch it, adult could watch it, grandparents could watch it. This is really incredible. And then on the animation side, you know, obviously just the things that kind of came before us, like Boondocks was a was a big influence, you know, certain anime uh, references. Um, you know, we didn't, I, like you mentioned, we didn't have, get a chance to do a kind of hand-drawn just because TV is a different beast and you got to try to turn it up quicker. But uh, we really try to keep the same type of look and feel that the short had. And that was really great because we, you know, typically in animation, or with any new show, like you don't have a visual reference of like, this is what we, we should be aiming for. And also story-wise, like, you know, typically when you sell a show, you're like you're going it for going from scratch. Here we have both the style and like kind of the storylines that we use as a bit of like a 0.5 before episode one, right? And so, yeah, I, you know, and all the ones that came before us, like, you know, Bebe's Kids, um, you know, Princess <laughs> and the Frog, just, you know, all the incredible you know, uh, black animation have kind of come before us, but obviously we wanted to be a little bit more family. So the lines are a little like smaller than they would be for a kid show. But yeah, we really just try to like be a bit of a homage to all the incredible black animated TV shows and movies that have come before us. I, I do want to slip in one more question because I realize that you mentioned anime too. And I mean, I am a big Miyazaki fan. I love, and you know, this is a Totoro house very much. I think somewhere in this room, there is a little stuffed mm -hmm. Totoro thing. Um, so I'm curious if you're a fan or I don't know if you've seen the new movie, which everyone's raving about. I'm like, oh my God, it's it's his last movie. I'm doing air quotes for people who can't see because it's like his fourth last movie at this point. Um, but I, I'm just curious if you're a fan at all and, and uh, if you've got a particular favorite just because he is, uh, he's like the top of the mountain for me. Yeah, no, definitely a big fan. Like just even how he's able to like, you know, obviously not every movie is as grounded, um, but it's how he's able to kind of showcase like, just regular life, you know what I mean? Like there's such an incredibleness to his type of uh, work where you're people are actually looking like people and kind of moving around like 
they look in real life. So yeah, it de- definitely is a, a big reference. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find the uh, the one that really was a oh Kiki's Delivery Service was was a big. Oh, it's great. Kind of reference, yep. of course, just because how that movie is like very simple, like you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have super huge stakes, but you know, it's just like a, a great watch, and it kind of makes you feel good after you watch it. Like that really was the goal for this. Yep. Oh, I can totally see the parallel. Short, you know, simple, very simple to the point, and still just a wonderful experience. My guest today has been Matthew Cherry. His brand new series, Young Love, now has four episodes out on Max. There will be 12 in total rolling out over the next couple of weeks. You can also check out the short film, Oscar-winning short film, Hair Love. And I strongly recommend the book. If you have young kids, it is also wonderful. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. That's all for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. Just coming up in terms of written content for those of you who subscribe to The Athletic, I will have my look at the five awards I don't have votes on. I have NL Rookie of the Year for this year. That's not exactly the most suspenseful ballot, but I can't say who I'm actually voting for. But I will tell you who I would vote for if I had MVP in both leagues, Cy Young in both leagues, AL Rookie of the Year. That should be up this week, which is the last week of September. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll be heading out to Arizona and doing my fall league run. I will write a couple of dispatches from there as well before we get into free agency. It is almost that time of year. The hot stove is still cold, but I think we're about ready to fire the gas. Thank you so much for listening and for reading. Stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, everyone.